Welcome to CooperCast Demos and Weed episode. This is your host, Al's web weaver, John Sachs. In this episode, Al talks about making demos with Jimmy Radcliffe, who had the best weed, and running recording sessions with studio pros while still a teenager. Now, there's a sequence in the book where you talked about coming up with some business cards and putting together a kind of a idea for a business where you would create demos by playing all the instruments, by bouncing from one tape recorder to another, and you actually sold a couple of demos to somebody, but they were not thrilled and they had them done over. And you said that sort of ended your little one-man band career as a demo writer. Not really, because uh, I, I just learned how to overcome my deficiencies. Okay. And uh, so you would hire other musicians, right. but I couldn't pay other musicians, so the publishers did that. Right. Made it easy for me. So when Brass and Levine and I wrote a song, uh, we'd write, we wrote every day. And so we had like three new songs. So we had three new songs that were worth recording. Okay. So we go in the studio and record them. And they just wrote lyrics. They didn't know how to deal with musicians and stuff like that. Right. And uh, I was very taken with that we could hire the same musicians that played on all the records. And, you know, and I was fans of these musicians. But now as the, as the musical part of the songwriting team, did that make you kind of in charge of the session? When yes, you, definitely. So at, at like 16 or 17, you're actually running a recording session with professional musicians? Yes. That's amazing. And Were you amazed at the time? No, I, I, was, I was just following my thing. Right. And if I had to do that, I wanted to be able to do that good. Yeah. And on the box set, it has some of the original things I did. They're very funny. Now, you've mentioned in the past that when you and Brass and Levine needed to create a demo, sometimes you would sing it, sometimes you would bring in the guy from down the hall, sometimes the girls from Jersey would come in and sing, right? Whatever you could do to create the best demo. Well, if we were trying to get you know, a, a record by Leslie Gore, say, then they'd bring some girl from Jersey. They could sing a little bit like Leslie Gore. Yeah. Yeah. But mostly we wrote, because the song that, the, I can't remember which one it was, but the song that they had written that was successful was uh, by the Shirelles. Yeah. So uh, we, we, we favored black music. Right. And and one of the things that's going to blow people's minds on this box set is the original demo of this diamond ring. Right. Which was a black song. Right. And it was sung by a black guy that worked at Schroeder's. Right. That was a, a, another songwriter up there, Jimmy Radcliffe. Yeah. And he was a great guy, and we all hung out, yeah. you know, on lunch hours and go into each other's rooms and, you know, sometimes cross right. Yeah. And... Uh, so we were all good friends, and and I loved Jimmy Radcliffe. He was a great guy, and it also, by this point, we were smoking marijuana. 
You mentioned that, that you get stoned every, almost every day. Well, it was a, a, a very good help in writing songs. Okay. Just opens your mind up? Yeah, plus, you know, I'm not saying we weren't silly. Right. We were very silly. Yeah. And uh, and 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 all these guys that came in from other writer rooms, everybody was doing that. And Jimmy Radcliffe always had good marijuana. What year do you think we're talking about? That's tough. So this diamond ring was sixty-four, I think. So this would be maybe sixty-three. 63, 64. Because in 63, marijuana was like real serious. You could get in real trouble. Oh, sure. But but not in 1650. <laughs> <laughs> but we moved. We moved to 56th Street. Okay. And, and the thing that was great about 56th Street was there was a great studio in the same building. And not all those other music companies and everything. So it was really good. We, we either were writing or uh, recording. Mm-hmm. And we didn't have to leave the building. Right. And that was great. And you were still able either to do demos on your own or maybe even bring in you know, real studio class musicians. Well, the thing that was great about... Uh, Brass and Levine lived in Jersey. Mm-hmm. And so they had, they had uh, all kinds of people in Jersey. Yeah. That that I I didn't even know. So if we were doing a girls group, and their their first hit was uh, the Shirelles, I forget which song it was, but yeah. it was a big hit. They had uh, people that were interested in being associated with them. Right. That were kids. Yeah. So. Our demos that we needed that for, uh, they'd bring the girls in and they'd sing, I have these demos, they're going to be on the box set. Erwin Levine, after we split up, was even more successful. Really? Yeah, but he, he wrote a lot of hits. You're roughly 16 years old at this time. Obviously, you, you were not going home and telling your parents how every day you were smoking weed down at in Manhattan with your songwriting buddies. You just kept that quiet. Uh, I can't remember. Well, I got I got married very young. Right. So I moved out of the house. Right, but not when you were 16. No, but, you know, maybe one or two years later. Okay. You were describing at one point how you would be writing music in the daytime at either 1650 or the other location in Manhattan. Then you would go out and play gigs. Yes. And I'm thinking that leaves you no time at all to be home with the wife. Very little time. Well, it was a, well, it was a little different because I I got f- famous okay after this diamond ring. Okay. Which was 64. But yet one of the things in the book that jumps out is that it takes maybe a whole year before any of the money from from this diamond ring? Oh no, no, we don't, I, I, none of us had any money. Right, none and of us had any money. So the success of this diamond ring was good for you, but not money-wise for a while. 
Well, also, we split it three ways. And, and the other thing that comes up, so you guys have the freaking number one song in America. The fact <laughs> that you don't love the way uh, Gary Lewis and the Playboys does it, neither here nor there, it is the number one song. Your names are on the 45. That's a big deal. Plus, uh, then they played uh, the uh, Ed Sullivan show, which was right at the at the building that uh, yes. the tokens were in. Right. So the three of us stood at the stage door to meet Gary Lewis and the Playboys. Right. Because it was number one right at that time. Right. And they just, I think they were younger than us. Really? Yeah, and they just, you know, screw you. Get out of my face. You're the clowns who wrote the song. We don't even want, you know. Yeah. We're Gary Lewis and the Playboys. They don't think... I don't remember any other hits by them. They may have had one or two. Oh, the, Gary Lewis and the Playboys had probably five big hits. They did. They had a career. Yeah. Yeah. And Gary Lewis was Jerry Lewis's son. Yeah. Right. It was that too. Right. Yeah. This has been Coopercast, the demos and weed episode, brought to you by people from Jersey. Look for more episodes coming up and subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or just about any podcast distributor. And tell your friends.